0: For nearly half a century, Randolph Buster Murdoch Jr. was the chief prosecuting officer of the 14th Circuit, a mostly rural five-county legal district that harbored a variety of criminals and bad apples, bootleggers, poachers, hog rustlers, and rum runners, and the district hosted the occasional backwoods lynching and cold-blooded murder. And while the Murdoch clan has since made international headlines and become the stuff of historical legend after the recent double murder conviction of Alex Murdoch, the Murdochs were by far not the only interesting personalities in the South Carolina Lowcountry. The 14th Judicial Circuit is a strange corner of coastal South Carolina that's populated with mysterious, colorful characters on both sides of the law. On today's episode of the Wicked South podcast, You will meet the witch doctor sheriff of Beaufort County, who worked closely with Buster Murdoch on many gruesome cases, as well as a few other colorful characters like Dr. Buzzard, Dr. Bug, Dr. Snake, and a few other hoodoo root doctors.
2: Hello, friend. Matt Harris is here. Seton Tucker is here. We host the Impact of Influence podcast and now doing the Wicked South with the man behind the magical voice you heard just moments ago, Michael C. DeWitt Jr., who writes for the USA Today Network. He also uh, wrote the book Wicked Hampton County, and his book, The Fall of the House of Murdoch, will be coming out at the end of november good morning seaton good morning and hello michael good morning so let's talk about the sponsors and we're really hopeful that you guys will support these sponsors who are there for us and responsible for us getting this podcast made to you each and every week so michael
0: who do we thank in this week well, we have um, the same uh, great sponsors that we've had the past couple of weeks. And, uh, of course, we're always looking uh, for more. We have Dr. Kenny Kinsey and Associates. He is uh, can help you if you uh, you need somebody to testify, to tell the truth in the trial. Um, if you need some private eye work, he won't stalk your wife or anything like that, but he does great um, investigative work. So we have Dr. Kenny Kinsey and uh, We have Palmetto Pride Distillery, and we're going to hear a a message from them about midway through this episode. And then, of course, we have Rotten Little Bastard Distillery right here in Beaufort uh, in the 14th Judicial Circuit. And they want to tell the listeners of the Wicked South podcast that they are a truly local distillery. when They are grain to glass, which means they take South Carolina grain and South Carolina malt, and they... Distill their products right there in Beaufort County. Um, you can schedule, go to their website and schedule a tour. They're, they'll bring you in and, and, and groups or, or, or your family or whatever and, and give you a tour, show you how they make their their moonshine, their bourbon, their vodka, all of their products. Um, and you can find their, find their products in South Carolina stores or you can order from their website um, if you're out of state. So uh, Rotten Little Bastard Distillery. And we'll hear uh, more about our other sponsors later in the episode. Great. Thank you. All right. And if you want to hit the donation button, if you scroll down to the bottom,
2: that'd be cool, too. All right. So uh, let's start by meeting the witch doctor sheriff of the 14th Circuit. Already, this is, you know, is going to be a great tale just by that.
1: And as we're recording, it's Halloween week. So we thought this would be a great time to talk about a witch doctor.
2: Perfect. Uh, So introduce us, Michael, to James Edwin McTeer.
0: James Edwin McTeer, he uh, went usually by Ed, Ed McTeer, um, but as he got older and became more uh, well-known, he had several nicknames, which we'll we'll get to here in a minute, but he's a, a very interesting uh, character right here in, in the 14th Circuit. He reminds me in a lot of ways of um, Buster Murdoch. He uh, was born right here in this area. He was born in Hardyville, which is in Jasper County and his father was sheriff of Beaufort County. Well, his father died in office. And so just like, you know, Buster Murdoch's father was killed by a train in 1940, and he was appointed by the governor to to take his father's seat. The same thing kind of happened to Ed McTeer. He was appointed sheriff of Beaufort County on February 11th, 1926, at the age of 22, 22 Mm. years old, uh, just barely old enough to vote these days. And Vote and buy uh, alcohol, you know. And at the time, he uh, was believed to be the youngest sheriff in South Carolina, and possibly the nation. So he took his father's seat, and then, of course, uh, just like Buster, he was elected and served in total roughly thirty-seven years as sheriff of wow. Beaufort
2: County. Thirty-seven years. The Murdochs, every one of them, served basically until they either died or retired after decades of doing it. So that that is similar. That could have been a story in and of itself, that he was a 22-year-old sheriff. But the other thing that gave him notoriety was the fact that he was called the witch doctor sheriff. He was also called the high sheriff of the low country. Uh, in 1996, July 28, 1996, there was an article in the Buford Gazette. And, and what did they say about Sheriff McTeer in that article, Michael.
0: Once again, he was a lot like Buster in that he was good at creating his own legends, or if a legend was born or a rumor or a story or an image was was created by others, and you know, he didn't necessarily discourage it. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about how he came to be known the witch doctor sheriff, and that happened kind of late, well into his career. But The Buford Gazette uh, did a little flashback article in in 96, and they said that during his career, he chased rum runners down low country waters. He smashed moonshine stills on Hilton Head Island and battled voodoo. Hoodoo should be the proper term here. But he battled voodoo in the marshes of the Sea Islands from 1926 until 1979, when he died at the age of 76.
1: Actually, you just mentioned the difference between hoodoo and voodoo. So I looked it up and... According to the helpful professor, hoodoo is a systematic folk magic originating from African American culture and it incorporates European and Native American traditions. It's not a structured religion, but rather a personalized individual practice centered around conjuration and root working. Now, voodoo is a structured religion that originated in West Africa and is practiced in Haiti and the southern United States. Um, it has complex rituals and an organized priesthood. So it's it's different. It's a religion, voodoo, versus kind of more of a medical-type practice.
2: Of the hoodoo, right. Of the
0: hoodoo, root working.
2: And it's the Gullah people, right, uh, Michael, in that area that would do and use the word hoodoo.
0: Yeah, you um, have to look at the time frame and the area in which McKeer grew up, he w- was from, if I'm not mistaken, he was Scotch-Irish descent. But even in the old world in Europe, you had your um, your pagan superstitions. So he kind of came from a family that, that was a you know superstitious kind of family in a superstitious era. And I think Seton can tell us more later. Two of his sisters, I believe, said they could see ghosts or apparitions. So he kind of came from a little spooky, superstitious family to start with. And he's surrounded by Gullah people, um, you know, descendants of West African slaves that lived on the sea islands and on the coast in the Carolinas and down into Georgia. And they brought with them these hoodoo beliefs and practices. And so he was kind of surrounded by all that. And he studied the, the occult really for, for most of his life. And he became, and we're going to get down to some cases here, but he became so good at his job at finding the bad guy, finding the man that locals uh, got to whispering that he had some kind of hoodoo power. He had the white magic, and he didn't discourage it, much like Buster liked to hear his his legends and his stories. You know, no one ever ran against the Murdochs. He almost always won his case. Well, he didn't discourage it, and in fact, he really embraced it and um, started calling himself the uh, the witch Dr. share
1: Yeah, he, he did embrace it, Um, but he also— was really involved, like you said, in enforcing prohibition laws and solving grisly and often mysterious murders. He helped solve the string of grave desecrations in Beaufort County that many believed were linked to voodoo worship. So, Michael, growing up in that area, you will see some signs of people who, you know, they paint their they they may paint their house a certain color because it e- wards off evil spirits. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, some of these things, I think the people, modern day people do things sometimes and they may not always know the origin. It's just become kind of a a passed down, hand-me-down practice. But when you see the, the roof of a porch is painted a light blue, like a sky blue. When you see bottle trees, a lot of times uh, if you've ever seen a, a um, tree, whether it be uh, made out of metal or a real tree with upside down blue bottles, I think the the legend there is that these bottles, evil spirits get trapped inside these bottles. and I've
1: always um, wondered that. That's so that. interesting. Yeah, I've seen that forever, but I never really knew I why.
0: Did, did not know either. Yeah, my wife tried to. Um, this is a side note. My wife tried to do a bottle tree in our yard, and she wanted some blue bottles. And the only beer I could find that, uh, um, you know, I told her, I said, what well, are some blue bottles on Amazon?" And she said, "No, you you can buy you drink beer all the time. Buy some blue bottles." <laughs> And the only beer I can find, and I won't mention the brand, but gosh, it was so disgusting. Um, <laughs> so she only ended up with like six bottles on her tree. I couldn't stand to drink any more that nasty beer. But got oh, be no. sidetracked.
1: <laughs> it's not one of our sponsors.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. It's <laughs> definitely not one of our sponsors. Whatever the evil
2: spirits were, they were leaving Michael after uh, drinking that beer.
0: <laughs> I think the evil spirits were in that beer. That's why I couldn't drink it. It was just so. And I can drink a lot of things, but I, I couldn't drink that beer. But but you when you see the blue porch, you know, that's supposed to ward off haints. And hmm. here in the in this hoodoo area of the low country, and I'd love to get someone like Roger Pinckney on the show and talk more about it, but they're not just evil spirits, they have some you know interesting names. You have haints and boogaloos and um Boo hags are like witches, but they slip off their skin. Um and you know, ride you and choke you while you sleep. And just, Jeez. just very cr- creative. Uh You know, if you're going to be a ghost or an evil spirit, they come up with some creative ways to do it.
2: My college girlfriend, I didn't know she was a college. <laughs> 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 and I'm not complaining. Um, <laughs> we mentioned briefly that McTeer had similarities with uh, Buster Murdoch Jr. You know, filling his dad's unexpired term as a sheriff, as opposed to, uh, Murdoch Sr. in the uh, solicitor's office, you know, some of the cases that they worked together for more than 20 years. Let's get into
0: some of those, uh, Michael. All right. This is Prohibition era. Okay. Now, um, McTeer was a little younger than than Buster was, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, the two worked together. Their Their careers overlap, and they worked together for about 20 years. And if you recall, a solicitor is over, in this district, is over five counties. Okay, so any any major crime in Beaufort County, McTeer was the chief investigator and um, sheriff and uh, Murdoch was the chief prosecutor. And the geography of this area made it very unusual. When we think of prohibition, we think of moonshine. But, uh, it was more than just you know people having their own liquor still in the in the woods, and you know one person making his own private stuff to sell or whatever. Uh, this coastal area had hundreds of miles of of creeks and um I think it's two sounds in in Beaufort county and and uh, hundreds of miles of coastline. And uh, very enterprising criminals wanted to bring alcohol in, so they would, you know, the Caribbean is just down the coast. Uh, you know, so you had people bringing rum in from, um, you know, Cuba, Puerto Rico, wherever they could in the Caribbean, and with all this coastline, you know, it's easy to slip up the river at night with a with a boat full of rum. So they weren't just chasing uh, farmers making some cornshine; they were they were after these rum runners as well. So that kept them busy for, you know, pretty much the balance of the career. Uh, the sheriff and his men and um, you know, federal agents and everybody would go after the moonshiners and uh, Buster Murdoch would would take him to court and make the convictions.
1: And we didn't see any rumors that McTeer was ever indicted himself on uh, moonshining charges or any sort of liquor charges as uh, Buster was.
0: Yeah, he kept it clean you know, somehow. He, he had the image of, you know, being a squeaky clean guy. I think he, you know, he may exaggerate his legends a little bit, but for the most part, he seemed to be a, a very honest lawman who who took his job seriously.
2: You know, we talk about those the way that the the, the rivers are throughout the Charleston area and through the the, the low country of, of the 14th Circuit. It comes to play in the the 70s and 80s with the book Jackpot. Which is about the gentleman smugglers. Yeah, and mar- that's what they marijuana used. smuggling. Yeah, marijuana smuggling, and it was you that that was the key to that. Part of the key to that was just hard to catch up to them when they're going down these little, little, little rivers, and the fact that low tide and high tide, are, you know, it's either the pluff mud, you have to have good timing to navigate that whole area down there.
1: Well, let's start off with talking about one of the cases that he was not able to solve. Tell us about this one of the story of Clarissa Middleton.
0: I'd be uh, happy to. It's a very sad case, um, however, and it's an unsolved case. I haven't been able to track down the exact date of this crime. We're still doing some research, and we're going to probably do some follow-up episodes. But in his book, and McTeer went on to write four books. I have two of them here at my home. Um, But in his book, High Sheriff of the Low Country, he writes about this crime, and he doesn't give a date. But someone broke into an elderly African-American woman's home while she was building a fire that morning, took her own axe and basically just, you know, chopped her to pieces and killed her. Her name was Clarissa Middleton. Um, I think she was in her 80s. I don't know the exact area of Beaufort County. This is one that we were still in the process of researching for this and, and follow-up episodes. But And
1: I looked and you looked and I have a friend who's great at research and she helped me look and we really had a tough time coming up with anything.
0: I think that it might have been because this case never made it into the court system. that There was no arrest, no trial. So um, there were probably very few newspaper reports, probably just an initial report when she was murdered and maybe just in... Bufort Gazette newspaper and, and that was it. But that was one of the few serious crimes that meetier investigated that, that he, you know, never got his man. He had a theory, he had a hunch of who did it, and the man went to his death denying it, but no one was ever arrested and charged. And this is unusual because in reading his books and doing research online, when he came into office at the age of twenty-two. First thing he did was start looking at cold cases that happened years before um, 1926 that hadn't been solved, and so he started making arrests on cases that happened while his father was sheriff. Really? He, um, let's see. He arrested one murderer 20 years after the crime, and this I think I find this so uh, interesting. Um, it tells me a lot about his his character. The man uh, was a World War One veteran. Okay, so that gives you the time frame. He'd fought in World War One. And he lived, he was hiding in another state until he became old enough to get his, or need his veteran benefits. So he came out of hiding to get his World War I veteran benefits. And when he did, his name popped up in system somewhere, a file cabinet, and McTeer found him and arrested him. Wow. And that's the thing too, like you said, in a file cabinet, it wasn't like it was like a big
2: computer that could, he could easily track it. He had to do some work for this stuff. Yeah, there was no computer,
0: No.
1: And, Michael, there was another man that he made an arrest on Hilton Head. And how long after the crime was was he arrested?
0: Yeah, this guy killed a magistrate's constable. Um, I'm not sure exactly uh, if that's a local police officer or a state police officer, but he killed a police officer. And 40 years later, he found the man on Hilton Head Island and yes. arrested him. And by then, he was elderly. I, I don't think he got the death penalty. I think he got a got a lighter sentence than the rest of his life in, in prison, I think. But so he had this reputation for, number one, being a good investigator on the scene. And we're fixing to get to that with this next really horrible case. Yeah, he, he did not give up 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. He he He's still coming for you. And that, to me, uh, seems, you know, makes him a very fascinating, uh, almost as fascinating as the witch doctor stuff.
1: Well, did anyone notice that he also never carried a gun?
2: As the sheriff, that that does seem out of character. I mean, Barney Fife
0: still carried a gun. He just had one bullet, but at least he had a gun. So it was a
1: different time. <laughs>
0: yes. That kind of reminds me of the, the Murdoch legend. They never hung a shingle out in front of the um, the law firm. I'm a little skeptical. I found some stuff in one of his books where he talks about a, a, a rum runner getting shot but oh. he doesn't say whether he shot him or one of his deputies shot him. Right. So I suspect that maybe he may have carried a gun in his early years, but as the legend about him being an all-powerful witch doctor kind of oh. grew around the community, maybe he started say start, he quit with the gun and started uh, added that to his legend. He had the roots. So.
1: He had the roots with him.
0: Yep, exactly. Let's move to the Lobico
2: postmaster killing. Lobico is the name of the town, and where where is that? Approximately, Michael,
0: if you're coming from Hampton County, coming from Yamasee, up old Sheldon Church Road, uh, you'll pass um, the little community of uh, Lubico um, before you get into the Whale Branch uh, area and, and into Buford. So it's kind of an inland community uh, a little farther away from the coast. Well, tell me about the
2: Lubico Postmaster Harry Wilson and what happened and how that
0: consumed Sheriff McTeer. This was a, a case that really, um, another one that involved uh, Randolph Murdoch Jr. and uh, McTeer. This postmaster, and you have to r- remember, this is a small community, so he operated a store that was a combination store-post office. So he was both the storekeeper and the postmaster. If you wanted to to come in and buy you a cold soda pop, you, you know, he was there. If you wanted to mail a letter or, or whatever, he, he was there as the postmaster. So he was uh, in his store, you know, storekeepers keep long hours. It was about 9, 9, 9.15 at night. And the date I have is November 8th, 1951, when this tragedy happened. He was in his store closing up, counting his money, and he was known to keep uh, large amounts of cash on hand. That was part of the, you know, being a storekeeper and, and having money coming through the mail and things of that nature. So he was known to keep a large amount of cash, and I don't know if he flashed it around or not. But these two uh, young men came in that night when he was, you know, counting, doing his paperwork, counting his money. And based on the evidence and then the confession later, they came in with two weapons: a 22 rifle and an ice pick. Mm-hmm. And I guess their plan, you know, was violent and 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 horrible if it went right you know this case wouldn't be so noteworthy they were just going to shoot the guy and and take his money well uh 22 rifle is not a very large caliber weapon and they shot him in the face and Jeez. he went down but he was still groaning he oh, didn't gosh. die and uh these two uh i think one man one young man was actually the killer and one was the lookout well he just went berserk and He beat him with the butt of the rifle until the rifle came apart, Uh, stabbed him uh, multiple times with the ice pick. And according to one newspaper article, his face had been uh, smashed in with the rifle. His brains had, you know, been knocked out. He was stabbed 19 times in the stomach with the ice pick, uh, several times in the shoulder. And then the ice pick broke off in his spine and was still there when police and um, and investigators arrived. And to add to the horror of this, it was his son, I believe it was a 13 year old son, that found him that oh. night. His, I and mean, can you imagine that horrible scene, that horrible well, thing to do to find? Yeah. And uh, trigger alert
2: or whatever a sharp pointed stick was forced into his ears. I mean, this is like, like super oh, sadistic. I read
1: it about some of the motives was possibly to get a car. We could talk about those in a minute, but this does seem very personal, like or just beyond say, just a regular robbery to get some cash. Like a
2: real twisted person. So Sheriff McTeer notifies solicitor Buster Murdoch, the night of the killing. The solicitor arrives at daylight as police begin the investigation. And McTeer writes about this case vividly in his book. What What uh, is the story, Michael?
0: Uh, if you recall from other episodes, Buster was a, a hands-on prosecutor. He, You know, he would he would show up at the crime scene. And today we know that that's not, you know, not the best policy for a prosecutor. I mean, you can't. What if you're you know, what if you're a witness to something? You can't very well prosecute a crime. Oh, yeah. and beyond the scene, you know that there's just a, a big conflict of interest there. But back then it was a different time. Um, Buster sh- showed up at crime scenes in Hampton County, just like he did in Beaufort County. And so the the murder happened that night. Mateer and his men arrived, and they really didn't couldn't start the investigation and the foot tracking and all that till the sun came up. So they notified Buster, and he got there at daylight, and. This is one of those cases. Now, keep in mind that a lot of this comes from McTeer's book. So he may be um, tooting his own horn a bit and adding to his legend. But he says that uh, he walked in and by looking at the scene, he knew who had committed the murder. And there's some dialogue, some quotes. He, uh, He pulls Buster off to the side and says, Randolph, I believe I know who the killers are. And Randolph said, you must be joking. Um, you know, he hadn't he hadn't even left the store. He hadn't interviewed witnesses, taking no fingerprints, no footprints, none of the usual investigative techniques. He said, Ed, I know, you know, Beaufort County and you know your people, but I don't think you can just solve this case without leaving the crime scene, without leaving the store. <laughs> hey, right. But he had a hunch and he had heard that there were two young men in the area who had been getting into mischief lately. They lived not too far from the store. And, uh, they'd been getting into, you know, getting into drinking and hanging out at joke joints and, uh, (laughs) things of that nature. And those were his suspects. So they began, uh, trailing the footprints and, uh, it was only a matter of time before they found the bloody rifle barrel that was discarded in the woods. They, they kept it for as long as they thought they needed it. And then they threw it away while they were running. So they knew they were on the right trail. And seeing they got to the,
2: I believe, the suspect's mother's house?
1: Yes. And then upon arriving at the suspect's mother's home, they were told that they weren't around. But that her rifle and an ice pick were missing from the ice box. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a big clue. And so then they, they hunted them across state lines. And both suspects were eventually arrested in Savannah at the county fair where they were spending $100 bills stained with the postmaster's Jeez. blood. And one article said that they had spent nearly $200 at the State Fair.
2: Which I'm assuming is a lot of things you can buy at the State Fair know. in Savannah in uh, 19... Uh, what, what, what year was it again? 1951. 1951.
1: How many stuffed animals? <laughs> How many stuffed animals yeah. did they get?
2: How many coins can you throw into the goldfish bowl?
1: Well, and the motive I read was, I guess... They had contacted a car dealership in Savannah the week before, and they bought one car for a couple hundred dollars and then put a hundred dollars down on another car that was $800. And I guess that's what they were saying the motive was, but back to this really gruesome Gruesome. description that we heard just seems really overkill.
2: Yes. Whoever did the part with the ice pick and the sticks
0: in the ear was a sick person.
2: They get back to Buford County, and then what happens, Michael?
0: The following April, so it didn't take long at all, April 18th, both brothers, J.P. Priester and John Priester, were executed uh, on, on death row. And one line uh, in an in article uh, kind of summed up the The gruesome nature of this crime, McTeer told one of the newspapers that he had a long list of Beaufort County residents who had signed up to wanted to be witnesses to the execution. I don't know if they all got to come in and see it, but it sounded like half of Beaufort County wanted to watch watch them boys die in the electric chair. And Also a tragedy for that family as a mother, Beaufort County mother in in 1952 lost uh, two of her sons. I don't know how many children she had. but She lost two of her sons that day. And that storekeeper's family lost a father and, you know, his son probably never be the same after finding his dad like that. Mm. Uh, Very horrible, horrible case. We are going to take a break
2: to talk about one of our sponsors who we hope you will support when we get back. We're talking about, uh, How the High Sheriff became Witch Doctor. We're gonna talk about uh, Dr. Bug and Dr. Buzzard. Good stuff on the way. We'll be back in just a few minutes. And we're gonna talk about Palmetto Pride Moonshine. The holiday season's coming up, so you can sip your way to the holiday season with Palmetto Distillery's collection of award winning spirits. All right, guys, we gotta try these all 12 moonshine flavors, six sipping cream flavors, a 21% rye whiskey and even ready to drink cocktails. Something for everyone on the list, so you can do this as a a great present. I still say it's time for a Michael, Dwayne, Seton, Matt trip, but nevertheless, Michael, you're closer, so I expect uh, this sent up to us. You can share the love and spread some cheers this season. They're limited edition holiday samplers. Tell me more, Seton.
1: Oh, I love it. They make a Great gift. Uh, Each set includes five top-selling palmetto moonshine flavors neatly bundled in a traditional candy cane case.
2: A gift that looks as good as it tastes, yeah. Yep. Uh, Search their online store locator to discover a liquor store near you or online at liquidblackjack.com. Michael, tell them about the limited time deal.
0: I would be delighted to. And we're also going to post this on our Facebook page. Great for a limited time, the Wicked South listeners can get a special 25% off online discount uh, from their online orders from palmetto distillery.com or liquidblackjack.com when you use this promo code, Holiday Cheers in all caps. Holiday Cheers. Use that promo code at checkout and get in the holiday spirit. Find your flavor and pass the
2: jar. Palmetto distillery.com, liquidblackjack.com. Promo code holiday cheers. You can find it on the Wicked South podcast Facebook page. All right, back to the episode. And the high sheriff turns to white magic and becomes witch doctor. Take it away, Michael.
0: Well, I'm going to need uh, some help from Seton on this one. She helped with a lot of the research. And we also want to give a shout out to can, can we mention our secret researcher? Can we? Give, we can. Uh, we
1: can. She'd love it.
0: Awesome. I just want to thank uh, Miss Barbara Webb. I don't know if I met her doing the Murdoch trial, but she is uh, just like Seton. We have two of the greatest researchers here. I thought I kind of knew how to uncover some secrets, but I've got a lot to learn from these ladies.
1: Uh, Barbara is way, 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 way better than I am.
2: We're thankful for Barbara. (laughs) So what happens in this uh, particular chapter of this?
0: All right, I'll get it started, and I'll let Seton kind of kind of take over. Okay. You know, just like uh, Buster Murdoch's reputation as a colorful, theatrical prosecutor with a high conviction rate uh, grew around the Lowcountry, McTier's reputation as a detective, uh, investigator who always gets his man, that reputation thrived. And some of the local residents, you know, said he must have some kind of hoodoo power because he just knows things mm. that no other police officer knows. So we're kind of spread around Beaufort County that he was practicing hoodoo and uh, they called it white magic. I don't know if it was any allusion to his race or if it was because he used uh, hoodoo for good and and not um, nefarious purposes. But this kind of tickled McTeer and not only did he do nothing to discourage it, he kind of embraced it and uh, Seaton, did he wear glasses like Dr. Buzzard? Um, uh, do you remember reading that somewhere as well? Or
1: You know what? I don't know. <laughs> that's a good question. Did he?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I know in one article, it's a black and white newspaper article. He's wearing glasses, but oh. I can't tell if they're like prescription or whatever. But...
1: but he wore those blue sunglasses. He wore the blue sunglasses when he was doing some of his magic. So that's right. That could have been the blue sunglasses.
0: Ah. That's right, and and Doctor Buzzer did the same thing, um, and you know, so he's he's doesn't carry a gun. I remember reading in one of his books where he was uh, in a in a crime scene, and um, the bad guy shot at him a couple of times with a pistol, and just miraculously missed him, and that was one of the episodes that uh, one of the the, the Crimes that really got his reputation out there. When all the the Gullah people um, saw him walk in, I think it was a joke joint or somewhere, he walked in, bad guy shot at him with a pistol, and he walks out with the bad guy, (laughs) no bullet holes, and people are like, this guy's a witch doctor. There's no way, he's a witch doctor. (laughs) And so he took it and ran with it.
1: He did, but I want to go back to his family. He had these Scottish uh, ancestry, but his family grew up... Uh, in the Skola region, and they believed in the supernatural and ghost stories that had been handed down. Mm. And Michael mentioned earlier, two of his sisters actually believed that they could see apparitions. Now, Mcteer did not say that he could, but he used this black magic to remove spells or hexes from people. But he never put spells or hexes on people. So he was he was he was a good guy when he used his magic. He didn't <laughs> he didn't believe in doing the other thing. <laughs> In a quote in one of the articles I read that he saved people from insanity, murder, suicide, and saved many marriages.
2: Mm.
1: One of the stories I read, there were, you know, there were two women who were traveling 50 miles to see him to have a hex removed. Really? And he never accepted any sort of compensation for removing of these hexes or spells.
0: Seton, when I first read that, I thought he was saving people from insanity, murder, suicide, and marriage. So <laughs> I thought, well, he is a good guy. He's saving people from all these bad things. And he, he wraps them bad- <laughs> uh, But then I reread it, and, and I, I see what you mean there. Oh, yeah. Okay, so insanity, saved murder, saved suicide. Marriages. And saved marriages. Not, not saved
1: saving them. people from getting married.
0: <laughs> okay, so he's a good guy, but not a miracle, miracle worker. Okay.
2: <laughs> people would have traveled a lot more than 50 miles for that. Um Okay, root doctors. Explain to me about what root doctors do, who they are, who are that sort of thing. See.
1: when I first was reading about these root doctors or witch doctors, it brought me back to the nineties. Do y'all remember that band in South Carolina, the Root Doctors? I'm sure that's what they were named after, and I never knew that. Um, oh. Does anyone else remember them?
2: I was not in the South Carolina. in The nineties. Uh,
1: I think they played at my. I think they played the college set. Um, but anyway, back to the story. Uh, the origins came from. West African spiritual traditions, but the root work was really based in the Country. So after the slaves and the descendants uh, called Gola people who were located in the Sea Islands of South Carolina and Georgia came to the region, they had to learn how to work with the indigenous things that were here, the, the local roots. So they changed it up from when they were in West Africa. Um, but some of the ingredients that they used were Herbs, powders, bones, feathers, hair, fingernails. Mm. And they often tied them up in cloth sacks. And they would plant these items in yards and hide them in houses. Mm. And the reason people did this were for good luck, possibly love, health, prosperity, uh, revenge, and protection from evil spirits. There were a lot of reasons people went to witch doctors.
2: And root doctors. Yes, are root doctors and witch doctors are we? Are they? I mean, are they... I'm
1: saying synonymous. So, that's the yes. why I'm using it.
2: Okay, great. But there
1: could be someone academic who tells me I'm, I'm wrong. <laughs> uh,
2: let's. It's got the name Buzzard in it, so I'm already interested. Uh, McTeer versus Buzzard. Michael, talk about that case.
0: Well, when McTeer was sheriff, a lot of these uh, local root doctors were were practicing, and um, some of them were, you know, quite successful. Some of them were, you know they were much like McTeer. Like Dr. Buzzard, I think was very much like uh, McTeer. He wasn't a bad guy. He tried to help people when he could. And some of them were out there basically practicing medicine uh, without a license, which as you know, is, is a crime. But some of the things that they would prescribe, you might go to the doctor for a love potion, you know, and I won't go into any details with that. Um, but there's different types, you know, either to make yourself a better lover or make a, uh someone out there in the community fall in love with you. Well, um, where do they rub those roots eh? I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, I, <laughs> let's not talk about this. This is a family show.
0: Okay. Cool. That's right. That's right. We're going to leave leave some of it to the uh beautiful imaginations of our listeners. <laughs> but you know, uh this stuff it might not be FDA approved. We're going to get the one <laughs> uh Dr. Bo was using some arsenic, but we'll get to that in a moment. So, they were, um, you know, practicing medicine without a license is, you know, not necessarily a felony, but if you're using drugs or chemicals or, or, or compounds that aren't safe and you got people getting sick or possibly dying, then it's um, definitely sure. something that needs to be investigated and shut down. And so, the witch doctor sheriff kind of found himself at odds with some of the other witch doctors in the community. You know, Dr. Bug, Dr. Buzzard. There was a Dr. Eagle, Dr. Crow, Dr. Snake. There, you know, there's a, there's a handful of them there.
1: Well, And a story about Dr. Bug that I found really interesting was he had this scheme to help young men who were trying to avoid the draft during World War II. And he would dip a pen in arsenic and stir it into some moonshine. So here's another mention of moonshine. Now this wouldn't kill the young men, but that give them heart palpitations, which was a reason that they could avoid the draft.
0: Oh man, that's And that was Dr. Bug, not Dr. Buzzard, correct?
1: Not Dr. Buzzard. That was Dr. Bug.
0: Let's get our Dr. Right, B's right. ready. Uh, yeah. Dr. Buzzard was a was a uh, more of a good guy, I think.
1: Well let's go back to this kind of rivalry of sorts between Dr. Buzzard and Sheriff McTeer. Uh Dr. Buzzard's real name was Stephanie Robinson, and he was a root doctor in the low country. I think it was St. Helena, and his reputation extended beyond the low country. Uh, his father had also been a well-known root doctor. Uh, but so let's talk about one of his specialties. One of his specialties was helping people who were facing trials in court. And he had this they called it chewing of the root. Michael, what do you think that was? I mean, the chewing of the root situation, I kind of picture it as some sort of ceremony.
0: Right. And it could have been something as simple as um, you know, a, a licorice root or or something like that. Or um, you know, people of that generation chewed tobacco, but they also chewed uh, you know, different different uh natural um herbs or or roots. So if you were gonna testify against somebody in court and you see Dr. Buzzard just staring you down and he's and he's taking something out of a bag and chewing it, you'd be very hesitant to uh, to open your mouth and 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 testify with things.
1: Yeah, so many of these people refuse to testify. And like you said, whether it's because of he actually put a some sort of spell on these people or because they were actually like who is this crazy guy? <laughs> we we don't want to do we so don't want to have anything to do with him.
2: So he's working for the bad guys to get well, people to not people, testify. Uh, yes. I mean, unless they were guys who were falsely accused, Fal- but uh, still. We don't know. So they just see him. He's probably getting some crazy buzz off of whatever root it was. His eyes are like bulging out, like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure
1: his reputation <laughs> preceded him. Um, and so Sheriff McTeer did not want to put Buzzard out of business, uh, but he wanted to limit his practice to roots for minor ailments. And not use quote the powders, and I believe those were oral medications that maybe he was using to treat more serious conditions like cancer or syphilis. So <laughs> he was, you know, they were kind of at odds about this.
2: Cancer and syphilis in the same grouping. Cancer I, or I, syphilis? I, well,
1: yeah. <laughs> I read that in an article that those were some well, of the things he was sure. using uh, using his treatment.
2: Yeah, I, I yes, and that's when it becomes a problem when you're not getting treated. With real, quote-unquote, real medicine, you have major complications. So what else do you have in old Dr. Buzzard?
1: There was, I guess, some sort of, you know, we mentioned this rivalry between Dr. Buzzard and Sheriff McTeer, and one article mentions that it was because Buzzard was envious because McTeer's powers were stronger. Mm. Um, now, we're not really sure if it was a result of envy on Dr. Buzzard's part Or because McTeer was attempting to limit his practice of medicine. Gotcha. But Buzzard attempts to put a hex on Sheriff McTeer. And then, subsequently, Dr. Buzzard's wife becomes ill. And he's convinced that his wife is ill because Sheriff McTeer puts a stronger hex. And he believes that, I guess, his powers are possibly stronger. Okay. But I don't know if I buy this because... Sheriff McTeer was very transparent that he he only used his powers to remove hexes, not put hexes. So I don't know, um, but it interestingly enough, the next time Doctor Buzzard sees McTeer, he asked him if he had himself been sick, and Sheriff McTeer responds just a little. Mm. And so eventually, they buried the hatchet and joined forces to provide, you know, really
2: good medical. Medical care, <laughs> care? I don't know if that's the right <laughs> word. I don't like, know. Remove hexes. How about I, that? Like, I mean,
1: I kind of believe in I mean, I believe that, you know, throw some seance around and I don't know.
2: Yeah, real great. Okay. I, I do. Let's go outside here. Dwayne's got a bunch of roots oh, out here in this podcast. Sage roots. Yeah. we yeah. will grab some stumps and things, see what happens. So, uh, Michael, you have a suggestion to tie it in with our listeners about this witch doctor thing
0: yeah i kind of um i find this whole story fascinating how these these um beliefs and and this power help create this this legendary status for these people and i work with a couple legendary uh, co-hosts here matt and seaton and i think we ought to for fun since you know still the week of halloween uh we ought to come up with our own you know witch doctor names um but i I think we ought to post something on our social media page, on our Wicked South Facebook page, okay. and take suggestions from the listeners. Obviously, Dr. Buzzer is a cool name, but it's taken. So, um, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Gator would be a cool name. Um, Seton likes possums. Can we call her Dr. Possum? I don't know. Let's hear from the listeners. Yeah. Uh, Well,
1: listeners, please be kind. Know that I have the ability to ban you from our Facebook page. No, don't be kind. (laughs) I'm just kidding.
2: Just kidding. Yeah. You're not going to, Dr. Possum, how do you feel about that one so far? I
1: mean, they're cute enough, I guess. You're the
2: only person that thinks possums are cute. I do not think
1: possums are cute. I was just kidding. Oh, I thought you meant it. No. (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, Well, so why don't we post this tomorrow? uh, Or should we go ahead and post it today?
1: No, but I would, I would post it today.
0: Yeah, come on. Let's get us some names. All right, D- All right I'll work on that this afternoon then.
2: Uh, so we got to figure out a name for DeWitt and Zeton and me. All right. Oh, wait, Dwayne needs one as well. Oh, Dwayne needs one. He goes, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what they're going to come up with. To thank our sponsors again, Michael.
0: Absolutely. We have Palmetto Pride Moonshine. Dr. Kenny Kinsey and Associates and Rotten Little Bastard Distillery. And we are hoping to take a tour and visit both of these distilleries here at some point. One's in the upstate, one's in the uh, low country. And uh, I'm going to be meeting Dr. Kenny Kinsey here real soon. And uh, hopefully we're going to have him on the show. That'd be great.
2: be great. Uh, We've got the Facebook page, which is The Wicked South Podcast. We also want to tell you to reach out to the socials of um, Michael DeWitt Jr. You can find him on, on Twitter a lot, doing a lot of great things with the articles of things that are happening in the current day, too. You can Check that out. And uh, we are doing the Impact of Influence still, Dean and I, so you can check that out. Please rate and share the episode. Make a comment. That's always appreciated. And we'll talk soon, friend.